This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U Mobile. 5G makes business sense. BFM 89.9, this is the Breakfast Grill. I'm Keith Kam. This morning, we are speaking to a former minister from Singapore. George Yeo has headed the Foreign Affairs, Health, Trade and Industry, as well as uh, Information and Arts Ministries. And his latest book is Musings Series 3, a trilogy, if you will. There is a, a lot that this gentleman has to share with us. And reading his books, I do find the need for some heart-soul searching, which I would envision many people to be opposed to for various reasons. Former Minister George Yeo, welcome to BFM. Thank you for having me here, Keith. Uh, George, uh, I want to start by addressing the current issue that has been dominating the headlines since uh, October 7th that escalated tensions between Israel and Hamas, causing innocent civilian lives, totaling 10K at this point, both Israelis and Palestinians to be needlessly lost. Today, the world is pressured into picking sides that no grey areas, one or the other. Do you see things as black and white as this? It's important to go th- beyond the ritual condemnations and go back into the history of uh, Israel, the creation of a Jewish homeland by, uh, in 1917 after the Balfour Declaration and how uh, events in that region have been affected by big power uh, competition. Right. So it, 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 it is complicated and it's easy to, to judge on the basis of a snapshot, but one has to look at the whole video and the video goes back a long time. But at, at, this, at this point in time, um, I mean, what we are seeing is what's in front of us. Uh, do, we, do we pick sides? I mean, is it, how do we clear the air in order to resolve this problem today? Unfortunately, um, both sides will give war a chance before they talk peace. Right. Uh, in the case of Hamas, it was a, a brilliant military operation, but with an objective to create terror. And it's achieved its effect. And so far, the Israeli reaction has been predictable. I'm sure Hamas knew that Israel would react in this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, tactically, of course, one... Uh, There'll be surprises to both sides. Uh, I don't see Hamas winning, but the clock is ticking. Right. And we're all horrified by the images we see every day, and which is creating a, a ferocious political reaction all around the world, in Malaysia and Singapore, and certainly in the Middle East. And this will in turn uh, reshape the geopolitics around uh, the Middle East. And the clock is ticking for everybody. It's, it's, it will affect the U.S. elections. And and speaking of uh, Singapore's reaction as well, uh, uh, PM Lee Hsien Loong, he maintains that Singapore's ties with Israel remain strong. How do you see this affecting ties with the strongly Muslim and thus pro-Palestinian stance of, of Singapore's closest neighbours? No, Singapore is, uh, has deep links with Israel. They helped us uh, establish the Singapore Armed Forces. Exactly. So we'll always be grateful to them. But at the UN, we've always taken a balanced position on the issue of uh, Palestine. We've always supported a two-state solution. Uh, I think we've we've condemned what happened October the 7th, uh, but we've also voted uh, to to join many other countries in expressing our horror 
at what's happening in Gaza now. I, uh, you did mention in one of your books that uh, we should always begin on the basis that we are all different and that we should find common ground and that common ground is always always humanity but somehow this has failed today. Uh, how can that formula work to ensure some kind of resolution to a conflict that is already seven decades in the making? It will take time because what happened after the fall of the Ottoman Empire was decided between the French and the British and they threw, they threw, they played dice with the lives of millions of people in that region. Right. And people moved around. You could argue that if the Kurds had found an opportunity, they should also have created a homeland. So the Jews were given a homeland by the British, but it was not initially envisaged as a sovereign state. The Israelis had to fight for it in 1949, and the result was the eviction of large numbers of Palestinians, which created a historical injustice. Then you have the 56 war, the 67 war, 1982 war. So it's, it's almost endless conflict. But these are uh, passions unleashed by history, by different peoples who are fighting for the same pieces of land and holy sites, and who, if they're prepared to accommodate each other, can mm-hmm. find a political solution. And the only political solution... It's a two-state solution. But what that means, what are the detailed arrangements, will take years to negotiate. But we, we have to go back to a two-state solution. When I consider it as, as well, uh, Singapore, in a way, does look a little bit like Israel, which is uh, surrounded by much larger Arab Muslim neighbours, uh, in that Singapore is surrounded by Malay Muslim ones. Uh, I mean, just to keep it like really simple... You are a retired Brigadier General and former Foreign Minister. I was wondering if you could talk to me about the defence strategy since you said earlier that, that Israel did, did, did help set up the SAF. I once spoke to an American official who was, of Jewish, who was Jewish. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, I would like to compare Singapore to Israel. I immediately demurred. I said, please don't compare Singapore to Israel. If you wish, you may compare Israel to Singapore. But not the other way around, because we have good relations with our neighbours. Oh, I, I was merely uh, 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 talking about the relating it to, to the security situation, because this, this was the information I got uh, many years ago from the Malaysian uh, defence attaché. About? About the fact that uh, Singapore views itself as if it's Israel, in, in terms in, of its security. In some ways, as a small country, but we do not want to be in Israel situation. And we do not have the same passions. Okay. And we certainly do not want our neighbourhood to be like that in the Middle East. That's, that's the last thing that we want. And it's the whole object of our diplomacy and why for us ASEAN is so important. In our neck of the woods, uh, China has also become sort of a, a, a bogeyman for the, for the West to vilify and has been reduced to a few stock phrases, as you, as you have put it one, one time. Uh, it's, it's so that you know, they can rally supporters to counter this so-called yellow threat. I'm not saying that it's a threat, but uh, you have said that China's GDP may one day equal that of the US and Europe combined. It's currently about 20% of the US. Do we need to pick a side at, at, at this point? I think ASEAN will be neutral. ASEAN's economy will be increasingly integrated with China's economy. And this year, bilateral trade between China and ASEAN will reach a trillion US dollars. Okay. And that's significantly greater than China-US trade, China-Europe trade, or Europe-US trade, and will continue to diverge. But politically, we'll be independent because the instincts of ASEAN 
are promiscuous. We do not want exclusive relationships. We, we believe in having friends in all directions. Yeah, but, but having friends in all directions would also end up having enemies in, in, in other directions as well, right? I mean, in the, in the sense that uh, you are, you're just not going to be loyal to anyone. Uh, no, I, I, th- I think this is what we are best at. We have no enemy, ASEAN, mm-hmm. and long may this remain. And if anyone pushes us so far as to make us an enemy, then that, per- that party will find us leaning towards its enemies. What about uh, security issues? I mean, with regards to claims in the, in the South China Sea, coming back uh, to your finding a common ground prescription, how will this work? Well, in the case of Malaysia and Brunei, they found compromises with China. And there's peace. And life goes on. There is joint exploitation of economic resources. Fishermen are not overly inconvenienced. In the case of Vietnam, which has a complex historical relationship with China, yeah. I think for the short term at least, they found some accommodation. Right now, there's a flare-up between the Philippines and China, partly because the US is backing the Philippines. But I don't believe this will go too far. So it's important for us not to get involved in the Taiwan conflict uh, and on Southeast Asia to settle uh, with compromises between the two sides and to maintain the peace in the region. I, I heard you talk, uh, gave a, give a talk a couple of months back proposing a Chinese Commonwealth as a potential framework for future political integration between um, Taiwan and, and China. Uh, because this, this actually in, intrigued me. I, I had a conversation recently with the German ambassador, uh, right here in fact. He seemed to signal that Germany does in a way recognise a one-China policy, if I were just to paraphrase him. You said the difference was political. How, how do you envision this Chinese Commonwealth happening with both sides happy? Now, many Taiwanese do not want a one China, which is a PRC. They want a one China, which is a historical China, of which they are culturally and civilizationally a part. So when the time comes for unification, perhaps neither PRC nor ROC should be used to describe the entity. It can be a China, but to get there, the idea of a civilizational China is something which uh, should be worked upon emotionally. So I said Instead of arguing uh, and trying to overly define what is one China mm-hmm. and getting ourselves in uh, overly prescribed boundaries, talk, meet each other, have dinner together, uh, wish each other Happy New Year. And gradually common areas will arise and work on those common areas and let the agenda grow step by step in a way which is comfortable on both sides as a greater trust is established. But, but do you see this progress uh, being very likely in, in any of our lifetimes? Uh, you know, what with, uh, what with uh, uh, you know, China flying fighter jets over uh, Taiwan's airspace, for example? No, China's fighter jets are flying close to Taiwan in response to what the Chinese consider to be U.S. provocation mm-hmm. and provocation by Taiwan independence uh, supporters. We go back to 2015, when Xi Jinping, not long after he became president, met Ma Ying-chiu over dinner at the Shangri-La, and they, the Chinese met the Taiwan leader as an equal, and they addressed each other as Xinjiang to transcend political terms. So that road opened by Xi Jinping for Tsai Ing-wen is still there, and a future Taiwan president may well decide to take that road to the future.
On the breakfast grill this morning is George Yeo, the former Singapore, former Singapore minister, author and statesman. On the other side of the break, we will discuss finding the meaning in life. All very, very philosophical stuff. BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G makes business sense. BFM 89.9, welcome back to The Breakfast Grill. This morning, we are talking to George Yeo, former Singapore minister and author and a statesman. Uh, uh, George, before we discuss uh, Singapore, I was just curious because you mentioned ASEAN as a block just now. Uh, I personally see it as something of, you know, a pat yourself on the back kind of a club, uh, unwilling to deal with the difficult issues of its neighbours. Uh, Myanmar is a case in point. What are your thoughts on its effectiveness, especially in, in light of you know a growing China? How do you see it playing a role so that the region prospers if and when this were to happen? ASEAN is extremely important to all its member states because none of us, not even Indonesia, is big enough to deal with the major powers mm-hmm. on the basis of any equality. But when we band together, we cannot be ignored. And the key is to give every major power a vested interest in our integrity. And we are the only platform where people can come and meet uh, in a friendly way. ASEAN is the only table where the six parties around the, the Korean Peninsula, for example, uh, meet. And they can meet with others. But if they wish, they can meet on the sideline, which they did many times in the past. So we are exceptional in this regard that we have a convening platform which is unique in the world. But they don't seem to be willing to address problems within their own backyard. I mean, uh, the issue with Myanmar and the Rohingyas, for example, these are issues that are still not being addressed. Uh, well, they may be addressed by, 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 by ASEAN, but they don't seem to have any concrete plans to do something about them. It's common for outsiders, particularly Westerners, to be frustrated by ASEAN. Because we refuse to vote, uh, we try to save face, yeah. we try to achieve consensus in the Southeast Asian way. So if we cannot agree, then let us form specialist groups, let us refer matters to uh, officials and come back to it later. And gradually erode rough ages uh, by time and by compromise rather than having a vote and causing people to... to uh, then retreat into entrenched positions and making future consensus more difficult. George, uh, let's zoom into to Singapore. You mean you've alluded to the fact that Singapore is a small country in the bigger scheme of things in several parts of your trilogy. Uh, the strategy to use Singapore's Chineseness as an important trait to market itself has uh, no doubt worked out really well since 1965. Singapore also prides herself on its high level of governance. How do you reckon the recent money laundering cases might have affected the nation's risk controls as it does also involve some of Singapore's largest lenders? Now, Singapore was established as a trading post for the British uh, East India Company and continues to be a commercial financial hub for a, a big region. So it's natural that from time to time, the, the people want to launder money through Singapore. It's a cat and mouse game. Mm-hmm. The problem is never fully solved, but the problem has to be solved continuously. So you will have such cases erupting from time to time. So I don't... Uh, I'm not surprised that it has happened because there's so much money coming out from China, a lot of it illicit, and that some of it should come through Singapore. Uh, is to be expected. And, and they, they appear in many other places in the world. I'm really intrigued by this, uh, your use of the word Chineseness as a, as a, as a trait. Uh, so what does national unity look like for Singapore, which 
no doubt, I mean, you guys have, uh, we actually have this multicultural, multiracial, multi-religiousness that Malaysia also has. How has that, why has that Chineseness worked for Singapore? Well, because Singapore is three quarters Chinese. Right. So because of that, a large part of its political culture, even mm. though it, it is, is institutionally Western, in fact, works in a Chinese way. This is not a technique. This is not a marketing ploy. This is the, the reality of a people. It's culture in the way it deals with one another uh, in, on, in ordinary life. So Chineseness is not, it's not a policy. It's, it's not a method. Yeah, yeah, you said it's a trait, though. Yeah, yeah. it's just part of who we are. So, so th- that's why I just wanted to bring up the, the fact that in, in Malaysia, our political parties espouse something called uh, Malay supremacy, what we call the Ketuanan Melayu. How does that, in a way, equate to, to this Malay supremacy? We were one country once. Right. And in many ways, we are still one people. Between Malaysia and Singapore, if a son or daughter gets married to someone from across the straits, there's almost no tension because it's really one people. Uh, but if we were to marry someone from Indonesia or from China or from uh, India, there's much more tension. And that's because it's how close our cultures are. We have a common history. We share the same jokes, the same taste in food. We have the same accent. And in a room full of Malaysians and Singaporeans, we often confuse one for the other. That's how close we are. What, what but do you... Malaysia's political culture is, is essentially Malay. Right. Whereas in Singapore, it's essentially Chinese. And that's the reason for separation. What do you... And the result of separation. What is a Singaporean identity today? What makes a Singaporean? Uh, the Singaporean identity is a meta-identity. In the sense that if you're a Singaporean and you're a Malay Singaporean, you keep your Malayness. You're still a Muslim. You have your Adat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in Singapore, you still have... Uh, uh, your, uh, Islamic inheritance laws. You can have, in, in, on paper at least, four wives if you are Muslim in Singapore. I mean, my European friends are, are shocked when they, when, when, they, when they know this. But Singapore is a meta-identity. You come from China, you can still be Chinese. You come from India, you can still be Indian. But you must enlarge your heart and your mind to accept people who are not like yourself. So my hope, my dream has always been that to be Singaporean is to be bigger than what you were originally. Singapore has been functioning as a one political party system since its formation in 1965, or it's seen to be so, uh, it's much like Malaysia since uh, 1957 until our 2008 general election. What do you think a Singapore under an opposition party rule might look like? Do you think that will ever happen? It will happen if the PAP turns corrupt or effete, and talent flows, talent and idealism right. flow uh, to an opposition party, uh, by which time it will look very much like the old PAP because the policy choices for Singapore are not all that great. Singapore is a small country. We have to accept the world for what it is. We have to accept the region for what it is and work within the constraints. And anybody who wants to govern Singapore effectively and secure the support of Singaporeans we have to govern within these constraints. And, and for all intents and purposes, uh, there is now a succession plan in, in, in place. Uh, PM Lee Hsien Loong named Lawrence Wong to take the helm when the next GE happens before November 2025. What is your assessment of, of Wong's abilities to do so? I don't know Lawrence well. Uh, I, I find nothing disagreeable about him when I hear him. I've met him a few times socially. And I find him to be competent, eloquent, 
and accepted by those in this generation. And that's important. You are leading a team. You're not a soloist. Overall, what do you think about the need for a complete overhaul, overhaul of, the, of the PAP? I mean, many... Uh, actually, many of my Singaporean friends very candidly tell me that uh, the PAP is seen as a very Chinese male and a very boomer sort of a party. Is there a need to reach out to the younger people? Oh, the, I think the PAP does that all the time. Uh, of course, we, in Singapore, we have many complaints, but the world changes. We have to change the world. If we don't change the world, we're finished. So changing to the world is what we have to do. We have to do it with continuity because you do not want to break things along the way. And you want to give in um, the people whom we serve a confidence that there's continuity, that we are not uh, subjective or sudden in, 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 in what we do. So it gives people a lot of comfort that, yes, this is a predictable Singapore. And we do want a predictable Singapore for the entire region. But what sort of changes are you are you uh, espousing for for the PAP to to uh, put in place if they ha- have well, to? Well, you you mentioned um, Chinese Chineseness um, uh, and and our attitude towards religion. There was a time when if you wore a tudong, you can be a, a candidate for the PAP. Mm-hmm. Then we had Halima, and then she became president. And we, we had a, 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 a Bitudong uh, woman as the president of Singapore and an Arab Hadrami husband. So I used to joke that Saiz now inhabit our istana. Mm-hmm. But this is remarkable for Singapore. And today we have Taman Shemugranam, who was voted overwhelmingly by multiracial Singapore. And most Chinese liked him. And, and he's not even Indian. He's a Sri Lankan Tamil. But never mind, in Singapore, we consider him all Indians. But that, that is how Singapore is more surprising than most people, because of the continuity, think. The last chapter in your book is entitled Finding Meaning, and you allude to spiritualism and, and your Roman Catholic beliefs. How important is it to nation building uh, that, that we look towards such a, such a higher power in, in a country that's uh, multi-religious? It's not that we should, as a group, look to a common higher power. But it's important that a country has good people. And if the people are not well-centred, then however clever you are in governing a country, things will go wrong. The Tamils have a wisdom that never live in a village without a temple. Because if there's no temple, then be suspicious of the people. So it's good that people are spiritual, that they they understand karma, they behave well. And then from such building blocks, you can create a good society. Former Minister George Hill, thank you very much for your time and insights this morning. Thank you. On the breakfast grill this morning was George Hill, former Singapore minister, author and statesman. I'm Keith Calm for BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G makes business sense. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.